Well, good morning, church. We're in a series called Signs, and we're going through the book of Revelation. Today, we're going to be in chapters 2 and 3. If you missed last week, I highly encourage you to go back and watch week 1 on our website, and it would probably clear up some things that we're going to be talking about today in chapters 2 and 3. Brandon did a fantastic job over just uh, laying out Revelation and then going through uh, chapter 1. I'm sure most of you have been on vacation or tried to uh, get from Will's Point to another location. And you know, uh, basically when you're going from point A to point B, there's some things that can definitely be frustrating and it's detours, right? So you get to the place that you're trying to go and you've got a detour of you've got to go a completely different way. And if you don't take those detours, you're not going to get to the place that you need to go. So Revelation chapter 2 and 3 is a great way to look at uh, just what God is saying to the church. Like point A is, hey, beginning of time, I've got uh, God who created it and it comes up to the Old Testament, comes up to the coming of the Messiah the first time. And Brandon said it great last week, if we're not uh, in love or caring about or sharing the first coming, then reading the book of Revelation and understanding the second coming doesn't really matter because the first coming is what gets us into a relationship with God and truly helps us understand the second coming. And so then coming up through Revelation, you've got point B, right? Alpha and the Omega, Uh, the beginning and the end. And so the beginning of time, the end of time. And he's telling the church, hey, here's some things. These are the pathways that I've recommended you to be on. And you guys have uh, not gone a specific way that I've asked you to. And so please take this detour to get to point B. And so the end of time. And so we're going to take a look at seven churches today. I highly recommend finding a commentary that you can study and really uh, dive into some uh, areas of scripture here that we're not going to be able to uh, talk about today. And so find a commentary over chapters two and three and just what um, they discuss the church and the things that we won't be able to talk about. But I'm going to pray and we're going to get right in because we have a lot of information to go over. So Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for giving us a roadmap on uh, really from the beginning of time to the end of time, and that we truly believe here at some point that you uh, control our destination. And God, I pray that you help us be faithful in that. Help us to realize the things that you are pleased with and that we can do, uh, and that we can continue doing. And God, the things that you aren't pleased with, help us to just shave it off, to chisel it off, and ultimately follow you. God, teach us today more about you and more about us and how we can be more uh, just shaped into your image. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So we're going to start right away with chapter 2, verse 1. It says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven gold lampstands. And so this is the title of Jesus that he is writing to this specific church. And so Ephesus is a city that's very rich. Uh, A lot of uh, cultures come to this city. Uh, It's a very uh, big place for economic growth and just the economic center of Greece and Paul ministered into this city here. He wrote to the Ephesians. John, who uh, wrote the book of Revelation, ministered at Ephesus before. And so this city is known to be rich, to be uh, this economic culture, and to have a lot of cultures and a lot of religions in it. And so with that, they had a lot of different temples to a lot of different gods. Uh, 
And so with that culture of being rich, having a lot of different cultures, it spoke into the church. And so church, one big takeaway that we want to make sure that we have today is that make sure our culture doesn't shape our faith, but the faith that we have can shape the culture. And so let's take a look at just the culture and the church that that is inside Ephesus here. And he says in verse two, I know your works. So the one thing that Jesus knows is our works. It's it's something that we can't hide. Our actions are, are, he sees every action of our church in general, and then also specifically your works. He says, I see your toil, the way that you labor for my name, for ministry, the way that you put extra time, extra effort in. Uh, I see your patient endurance, the, the thing that you stand steadfast, you you have long suffering in, in tribulation, in sufferings, that you uh, don't waver from my name. He says, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. With all these other religions in this city, people have come and said, hey, I claim Christianity, I claim Jesus, and they've tested them with true doctrine and find them to be false, and they cannot bear uh, to have them speak or teach something in the church. I know that you're enduring patiently and bearing up. So this idea that you endured, but you're continually enduring, that, you, that it doesn't stop, that you don't stop doing what I've asked you to do, that in sufferings to come, in persecutions to come, you continue to push on, that you bear up for my name's sake, that you're ready for battle, that, that when... When it's time to share the gospel, when it's time to follow my command, you're ready to go. Uh, and then he says, and you have not grown weary. In church, today in America, in our culture, in Stone Point in general, some of us have grown weary. Some of us have stopped really caring about coming to church and being uh, united in fellowship with one another. Some of us have stopped real, realizing even in the last seven years you've come to faith in Jesus and you uh, served faithfully, you've gotten into community faithfully, and you've just stopped. You've grown weary. You've allowed life to take over. And this is what this church has not happened to. Like they've not grown weary. They, they push on. And God is pleased with that. God is pleased with those that run the race and never stop. And then he says, but I have this against you, that you've abandoned the love you had at first. And honestly, if we are honest with ourselves, the reason why we grow weary is because we've left or abandoned our first love. Realize he didn't say that you've lost your first love. Like you understand what your first love was, is supposed to be. And that's to love your Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. But the problem is, is this church has lost its love for God and lost its love for people. And we do the same thing here. We abandon our first love. It's like you abandon a child or you abandon like a, a pet on the side of the road. You know where it was and you have chosen to leave it. And so the reason why we choose to leave our first love is because we let life get into, we let life take over. And so many other things come before God. And so if we're not careful, church, we will leave our first love and we will grow weary of doing what God has commanded us to do. And so here at Stone Point, we realize that what God has commanded us to do is to connect with God connect to others, connect in service, and connect to the world. And the reason why we say that is because that's biblical. 
It's what God has asked us to do, to connect with him first, to find faith in him and love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's to connect to others in community. It's not good for man to be alone, but to connect in community, to come and fellowship on Sunday, to be taught something, to, to live life together, authentic life in community. That's why we do journey group. And it's to connect in service, to serve one another here faithfully, and to serve the world, as in Stone Point Serves that we did last week. And so our church, some of the people in this church, we've left our first love. We've abandoned our first love. And God says, hey, if you've abandoned your first love, if that's you today, then he says, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Remember where you have fallen. So it's this idea that you come into faith and you experience the love of God, the forgiveness of God, the mercy of God, and you have you start to grow, you start getting into community, you start getting plugged in, you start serving, and you've increased in your faith. You've increased, you've worked out your salvation. You realize that I have a salvation, and because of that love, I want to love people. And so we continue to increase in it. The problem is, is this church, the people that have abandoned their first love, it's decreased. They've fallen from the place that they were at. And so today, the one thing that I can encourage you to do is remember, therefore, where have you fallen? Repent. This isn't this idea that, man, we're saying sorry and we continue to do the same thing that we've always done. No, it's to realize we need forgiveness. We seek it. We ask sorry. And then we act as if we're forgiven. Like we don't do what we've always done. We, in fact, we've changed. We change direction. So Jesus is saying, hey, don't do it this way. In fact, change. You have to do something. Once you realize the salvation that you have, you have to change and go a different direction. It's a detour sign. And he says, do the works you did at first. Like get back to reading daily, to abiding with Jesus, to praying, to loving your family, to serving your family, to coming and being a part of community, authentic community, to serve. Get back to those works you did first. Because if you can get back there, you're showing that you're growing in your faith. And it says, if not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. You'll be like a church without a shepherd unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now, there's not a lot of things that Jesus hates or God hates in this world. In fact, he says he hates divorce, right? And he hates the works of this, of this movement called the Nicolaitans. Now, what the movement was is these were people that claimed to follow Jesus. So they were within the church, but they practiced two things that shouldn't be practiced. And that's sexual immorality. In fact, they indulged in fleshly desires. And then they ate from food that was sacrificed to idols. So they... Uh, didn't really worry about the institution of marriage or being faithful to your spouse. And they didn't care that they had idols that food was being worshipped to, that they said, hey, this food is okay to eat. And so in a sense, these, these gods are real. They've blessed this food and we're going to eat of it. And so what they were saying, what God is saying is, look, I've set up marriage as an institution, as a direct reflection of my relationship between me and the church. And if your marriage doesn't reflect that, there's a problem. And so what the Nicolaitans were saying was that marriage doesn't matter. Sexual immorality can be a part of our faith, and that's not true. And not only that, but there's other gods out there that are real, that bless food, and ultimately 
are under God, and that's not true either. And so the Nicolaitans, he hates these works of the Nicolaitans, but he loves that the church didn't have those false teachings. So he says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. There's the reward for those that follow through with this. Now, I'm not going to go over all the rewards or the titles of Jesus because I just don't have the time, but I recommend that you find a, a commentary that you can understand what these rewards and these titles of Jesus are. So here's a quick recap. So the church in Ephesus, again, they, they, ha- they were rich, they were wealthy. They, this was the place to be, a large city. Yet what pleased God in the middle of this was the work, the labor, the patience, the steadfastness that they had, and that they didn't grow weary. But what displeased God was that they left their first love. So first detour, church, is that, man, if you have grown weary and left your first love, hey, repent and change. Repent and go back to the, your first works. And that's what his action is saying. Hey, here's the detour sign. Here's the warning. Let's take it. Church number two, and when the angel of the church in Smyrna write uh, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life, that's Jesus, I know your tribulation and your poverty. So I know you suffer. I know the things that, that people are, are causing you to go through. I know the difficulties that you're having living in this city. So the city of Smyrna, again, was very rich, but they, they worshiped the Roman emperor. In fact, they they saw the Roman emperor of the day as God. And so the Roman law was really followed tightly in this city because if you followed the law, you were good with the Roman God. And so this city was, uh, was persecuted the followers of Jesus badly. Like it says that they were poor. He knows their poverty. And this is materialistic. This is, this is with money because... In the day, if you didn't follow the Roman law, which was to go yearly and to show penance or, or this thing called a pinch to the Roman emperor saying that he was God, then you could be fired or not hired or you wouldn't find work among the people of that city. And so the early Christians, if they were, if they didn't acknowledge that the Roman emperor was God, then they couldn't work. Not only that, they would rob them because the the... The, I guess the cops of the day, whatever you want to call the soldiers, didn't uphold the law with the Christians because they weren't following the law. And so they would rob them and they couldn't work. And so they were very poor individuals in this church. He says, but you're rich. You're rich spiritually. And he knows the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, that say that they follow me, that say that they are my people, but they're not, but they are the synagogue of Satan. He says, do not fear. Stop being afraid of what you're about to suffer. Now, fear is a godly emotion, but it's to to fear the correct thing. So God constantly tells us to be in fear of him and not afraid like, like as in he's a monster, but fear as in, man, he is superior and we're inferior. Like acknowledge our place in life with him, that he is God, the creator of all things, that gives us life and breath, and that ultimately knows when the end of time is going to happen, and then he holds it all in his hands. And so we acknowledge who he is. We, 
We come before him with respect and awe. And he says, but hey, don't fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw you in, some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for 10 days that you will have tribulation. So be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. And he's saying, but hey, even if this tribulation, even if these 10 days that you're about to go into prison leads to death, be faithful. And so church, today in the church in America, we don't have persecution like this. I mean, we may say we have some persecution, but ultimately, uh, we don't have persecution unto death. Like, there are some churches in this world today that if you come to secret church, we pray for these churches all the time, that there are churches that, they, that the individuals deal with death. They deal with beatings. They deal with uh, being shunned by their family, that they deal with just all of these difficulties, yet they stand strong. And so this, this church is describing them. I don't believe that this church is describing us. But no matter your situation, this is what I want you to realize. Be faithful. Like no matter whether you're at work, at home, be faithful to the commands of God. Love people. Let's not talk negatively about people. Let's not treat them in a different way that, as if they are inferior to us but to be faithful to what God has called us to do, to love God and to love people. Because if they can be steadfast in their situation, we have no excuse. We have no excuse not to be faithful in our lives based off of the church that lives like this. He says, be faithful unto death and I'll give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Ultimately, they'll have eternal life. So recap, the church in Smyrna, they, God was pleased with their work, their tribulation, even their poverty, because they realized that even through all of this stuff, they are faithful. Their blasphemy from other people. And what displeases God? Ultimately, I guess you could argue with them being afraid about the suffering, but there wasn't, I don't think that that was really what he was displeased with. He was just saying, hey, get ready. Because you're about to suffer some more and don't be afraid. Because if you stick through this, if you keep going, and that's their action. It's what he calls, hey, endure through this. Because you won't fear the second death. And so I don't think that we can really say that this is the church that we are in America here. But one day we will experience persecution. We'll experience tribulation. And, and if we're not careful, we can leave our first love. And we need to endure through it. So the third church, the angel, uh, and to the angel of the church in Pergamum, 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 we'll say per Pergamum, write the words of him who has the two uh, sharp two-edged sword. Again, that's Jesus. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. So in Pergamum here, there, this was a very religious city. Again, very political city. Uh, they had a lot of different temples to a lot of different gods. And so here there was a temple to a specific god, which I can't pronounce his name, but it was translated to the serpent god or the snake god. And you and I know that in the, in the Bible, well, some of you may know, that the serpent, in, right at the beginning of time, uh, Satan embodied the serpent to tempt Adam and Eve. And so the reason why they say Satan's throne is that there was a, there was a temple to this god. And the way that you were could find out if you were pleased by God is if you, um, by this God is if, if you 
had some sickness or ailment or you wanted prayers answered, you would go and you would stay the night in this temple. And you would lay down on the ground. And if the snakes crawled over you, embodied by the God, it would heal you. It would, it would help you. It would answer your prayers. And so this, was, this is saying that, hey, this was where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast to my name. Again, their situation didn't give them an excuse to not hold fast to Jesus' name. And in America, <laughs> man, we have a lot of excuses not to follow Jesus, not to hold fast to his teachings. And he says, hey, you held fast to my teachings, you held fast to my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. So they experienced martyrdom. But I have a few things against you. So even all of these good things that they did in their situation didn't cover up a few bad things. So it doesn't matter what all the good things you do, it doesn't cover up the bad things. And we see we've got to be careful. We can't allow to, ourselves to keep doing the same sinful patterns that we've always done. In fact, we need to repent and change. So he's, but I have the few things against you. You have there, uh, you have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. Again, they have a problem of having teachings that it's okay to be sexually immoral. Like it's okay to have affairs and multiple wives and all of these crazy things that God says, no, uh, the, the husband should leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Like that is my goal so that everybody can see that God is faithful to his bride, the church, and the bride is faithful to their husband, who is God. And that is, is why it's so hard for him. And he says, you teach from Balaam. Balaam was from the Old Testament. Who was Balak came to ask, and he wanted a stumbling block put in front of Israel. So we have to be very careful about being stumbling blocks for people. Like We don't need to be the person that people look at and go, hey, I don't believe in God because of you. That is what he's saying here. That we have some people that, that don't believe in me, that don't follow my teachings because there's somebody being a stumbling block. So you have some who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Again, uh, this eating of food, sacrificed to idols, and sexual immorality. Therefore, repent. Again, stop doing it this way and actually change. Don't just say you're sorry. Act as if you know you need to change. If not, if you don't change, if you don't repent, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth, with his word. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit, of the Lord, uh, what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone. To explain the white stone, um, in this city, if you were invited to an event, they would give a white stone with your name on it so that you could come to the event and be allowed to come in. It was like a ticket. And then also it showed that you were a good enough person to come into this. The white uh, showed the purity of, of your actions. And so this is saying, hey, if you repent and you conquer and you, and you keep pressing on, I will give you a white stone. In a sense, you will be allowed to come into the wedding feast of the lamb into heaven. And we know that my purity will be seen as your purity. And he says, with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except for the one who receives it. 
So to recap, the church in Pergamum, and so difficult, the, what pleased God was their work. They held fast to faith, and they did not deny his name. But what displeased God was the false teachings that came in, this idea of idol worship and sexual immorality. And the action was to repent, like change the way you're going, detour, sign. Stop doing it this way and take this pathway. And to the angel of the church in Tyrathyra, Tyra, Tyra, Thyra, Tyra, Thyra, wow, write the words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Again, that's Jesus. I know your works. Again, Jesus knows our actions and our works. Your love and faith and service and patient endurance and that your latter works exceed your first. And I want you to get this. The church in Tyrathyre, this was the smallest city of the churches that he wrote to. This is like the hometown city, okay? That thought that culture couldn't invade their church. It's kind of like Wills Point and Edgewood. We don't live in Dallas, so we don't have that culture problems. And they have love, they have faith, they have service, they have patient endurance. I want you to see, man, they connected to God, they've got the faith. They connected to others in love. They love people around us in the community. They connected in service. They were doing what was asked of God to, to use their abilities to love on people within the church and to reach people outside the church. And they patiently endured. And not only that, but they were increasing. These things were increasing in them. In them. They, they grew in love. They grew in faith. They grew in service. And they grew in patient endurance. This church sounds very solid. But I have this against you. Jesus knows the heart. Jesus knows the mind. He says that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. And we think that culture doesn't hit us. We think environment doesn't hit us because, hey, we're not in Dallas. We're not in California. We're not wherever that people are practicing these things. And yet they are tolerating, they're allowing this lady not named Jezebel. Jezebel was someone from the Old Testament that the, these people would know what they're talking about. To come in and, and seduce and teach false teachings. So even though they had all the things that they had going right, they allowed things from the culture to come into their church. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. And I want you to know that you've been given time to change. Like it's called life. If you believe, that, if you've confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You enter into a relationship with Jesus. And then for the rest of your life, you get to try to change your ways, to work out your salvation to make yourself, to help with God's power, obviously, it's all through what God can do through you, that you are changed into the image of God. It says if you're going to a gym, again, and, and you, you have this idea of what you want to be, and so you have to work out to get to that image. 
that's the idea that Jesus is saying here, that, man, you, you believe in me, and now you have time to repent, to change, to, to be my image, my, my feet and hands to this world. Don't be like Jezebel and refuse. Because ultimately, one day, we'll all be standing before God with our knee bow, and we'll confess that he's Lord. And he's given you time to do that here on earth. Don't refuse. Behold, I will throw her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into a great tribulation, into suffering, unless they repent of her works, unless you change, unless you repent of sin. And I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. Not just our works, but our mind and our heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. Again, we enter into salvation and we are called to do something with that faith. We're not called to come and sit and be apart and to grow weary. We're called to press on, to endure, to work out our salvation. But to the rest of you in Tyrathyra, Tyrathyra, Tyra, man, who do not hold this teaching who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. So there's some that have fallen away, have, have allowed false teachings to come in, and he says, repent. And then these others that have not, he says to endure, press on, hold fast. And so the one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, I to him I will give the authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And when he, and when as when earthen pots and broken in, oh man, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So to recap, Church of Tyrathyra pleases God, his work, love, service, faith, and their patience. But what they allowed to creep in, the false teachings of, hey, I can still be sexually immoral. I can indulge in the flesh, eat of the, the, the food sacrificed to idols, is to repent. But those who haven't, to hold fast. And to the angel in the church in Sardis, write, the words of him who, ha who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works. Sardis was this city that was up on a cliff. Like, it is inter it's interesting. It was really interesting that, that their environment shaped their church and even the mentality of the city. So this city was up on a cliff and no one could conquer it. No one could get their army up, on, up the cliff to conquer it. So King Cyrus one day uh, looked at his soldiers and said, I need someone to figure out a way to get up there and conquer this city. Uh, and so this one soldier camped out, not after night, and at one point watched a soldier up on top drop his helmet who was guarding the city. And he watched him go down this hidden pathway, pick up his helmet, and go right back up. And so that night, this soldier would go and take numerous soldiers up with him and they would get up there to ready to conquer the city and easily conquer it because it was not being guarded. 
They had a false sense of security based on their environment. And the, the interesting thing is 200 years later, the people that conquered it got conquered the same way because their environment continued to shape who they were. And so be careful not to allow our culture or environment to shape who we are. We need to be guarded. We need to st- be watchful. And this city was not. And it shaped the church. Because he says, hey, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive. You look great on the outside, but you're dead on the inside. Stone Point has a reputation of, of doing a lot of things in the community, of being alive. But some of the members, some of us in here, are, are, are truly dead. Like we've forgotten our first love. And so if, if we've grown weary, let's examine our hearts so that we don't have just the reputation of being alive, but we really are. Because these people weren't watchful. In fact, he goes on to say, hey, wake up. Stand guard. Snap out of it. Be watchful. Realize that you aren't really alive. And strengthen what remains and is about to die. Like the idea of this campfire, that you've got this one last flame or ember that's about to be put out. And man, you're about to lose heat and light. And you don't want that because there's so much stuff in the darkness that's attacking you that you're just throwing anything and everything on this fire to strengthen it. Notice that it is not God's responsibility to strengthen this church's faith. But they are called to do something. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. So what do we need to do if we're here at this place that we've stopped being watchful? That we need to wake up and realize that we're, we're dead inside. We're a whitewashed tomb. Remember then what you received and heard. Remember the gospel. Keep it, hold on to it, and repent. Like, change your ways. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis. You have a remnant of people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy, oh, to be called worthy. The one who conquers will be, clo- will be clothed thus in white garments. And I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So a recap, church in Sardis. They had a reputation of being alive. But <laughs> they really were dead. They had a dead faith. The action is repent and remember what you did at first. All right, sixth one. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write the words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. Philadelphia was the city known in the Greek culture to be kind of the highway to the rest of the world. In fact, it had a highway connecting it to Europe. And so the Greeks would use this city to expand their culture 
into the world, to take their culture, language, their trade, all of these things, their religion into the world. And so God places this church in Philadelphia. And he says this, I know your works. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. Like I have given you access to take, my, take the gospel to the world. I'm going to use you. I'm opening a door to spread the gospel and nobody is going to be able to shut this. I know that you have but little power. They don't rely on their own strength. They realize the things that, the, that God's asked them that they can't do on their own. That in fact, they need to rely on God's power. And here in the church in America, sometimes we rely too much on ourselves. Like we've got a job, we can provide, we pay for food, we go to the store, we're never in want when it comes to food in the cabinet. We can find something to eat, we can find friends to talk with, we, can, we have transportation. And pretty soon we rely on our own strength, our own power to make it through the day other than God. This is the church we can be. Like God has given us unlimited resources, unlimited richness here in America. Like we went through that, uh, the, the study of the camel, right? And realized that we truly are rich here in America. But the problem is, is we tend to hoard it. We tend to rely on our own strength. We have been given an open door, a way to reach the nations with the gospel. We have a chance to be this church. He says, I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word. You've kept my commandments. You do what I ask. You spread the word. You uh, make disciples. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing what I ask. You're sharing your resources. You are being the church and have not denied my name. You've not allowed any false teachings to come in. You've stood on the firm foundation. Behold, I will make those of a synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn uh, that I have loved you, because you have kept my word about patient endurance. You've kept it. You keep going. You've run the race. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the world, whole world and to try, uh, to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Church, he is coming soon. If you believe this is the end times, look at the detour signs. Stop acting a specific way and repent. Like change your ways so that we can be faithful to what God has given us. I'm coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. To the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Recap. The church in Philadelphia, man, they spread the gospel. They had little power that they relied on, but they relied fully on God. They kept the word and did not deny his name. They did his commandments. And nothing they did displeased God. 
nothing. They weren't apathetic. They weren't lazy. They, weren't, they didn't grow weary. They continued to abide in him daily, to connect in community, to love people, to share the gospel. But his action, his, his advice is, hey, keep going. Keep running the race. Keep doing what you're doing. Be faithful. And then the last church. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. So Laodicea was a very rich city, more rich than any other city that we've talked about. In fact, back in the day when earthquakes would happen and destroy the cities, uh, the city would reach out to the providence or the government to request money to come to them. Today, it'd be like us reaching out to the county, the state, the nation to rebuild Will's Point if the earthquake destroyed all of it. And so history says that Laodicea, when it happened, refused to seek money. In fact, they, they didn't take any money that was given to them. In fact, they said, we don't want to be in your debt. We will rebuild by what we have. And they rebuilt their entire city off their own dime. So there's a very rich city, a very powerful city. It also had like not easy access to water. So the the closest water was a hot spring that would come down about six miles. And eventually when it got to the city, it would be lukewarm and be stagnant. Uh, It also had another spring that it'd be cold water, it'd come out. But by the time it reached the city, again, it was lukewarm. And so back then, they believed that the hot water would cleanse or purify or uh, heal somebody. And we can understand that. I mean, we, we take showers in hot water, right? Because we believe it cleanses us. It, and we can understand cold water. They thought cold water would bring refreshing, a refreshment to you. And you can, in this Texas heat, understand that, right? You drink cold water. It's refreshing to to the taste. But by the time the water would hit the city, it'd be lukewarm and stagnant. And it'd be no use to the city. And so when Jesus writes these words to this city, they understand what they're talking about. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. And we're not talking about salvation. Again, this is the church here. This is people that say that they're in relationship with Jesus. And so it's not like, hey, either you're either on fire for me or you, you don't know me at all. What this saying is, I mean, be hot. Like, tell others what they need to be cleansed from. Like, that, that I'm the only one that can cleanse them. Be the example. Like, be used by me. Be useful. Or be cold. Like, be a refreshment to people. Like, be useful. Be used by me. Don't come... Like he says here, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, I understand this because I love hot coffee. And I can tell you that sometimes at work here, I'll get a a cup of coffee and I'll go off, forget, and I'll come back and take a swig of it. And man, I spit it right back out because it's lukewarm. It is not useful at all. And so the idea here is to be either hot or cold. Don't be useless. Be useful. And Jesus says, if you're useless, I'm going to spit you right out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. And honestly, that's, that's the church in America. Like, hey, we're rich, we're easy, we can prosper, 
We can make a name for ourselves. We can work. And honestly, I don't need a lot. I don't need a lot because I've got everything I need. So not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and shame uh, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Basically, Jesus says, don't rely on yourself. Don't rely on your material things. Like, come to me for everything because I'm the one that can give you everything. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous. Like, be useful. Be, have an urgency about being used by God. Don't come and sit and go out and do nothing. Be used by God and repent. Change your ways. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. This isn't, again, talking about salvation because these are church people. This is, this is Jesus saying, hey, come, I'm going to knock at the door and be useful and open the door for me. Like, get up and do something. And if you do open the door, if you do something with your faith, hey, I will have a relationship with you. I'll walk with you. I'll eat with you. I will, I will show you exactly what it means to follow me. To the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So to recap, the church in Laodicea, nothing that they did pleased God. Nothing. What displeased God is that they were lukewarm and useless. And he said to be zealous. Find your first love. Remember what you did at the beginning and be zealous. Have an urgency to do something for God and repent. Change your ways. So church, let us be faithful. Let us not fall into these teachings of our culture. Don't let our environment shape who we are. Allow our faith to shape our environment. Like let's work out our salvation. Let's show people that by our, by our works we have faith in God. And let us not become lukewarm. Don't let us be useless. Don't forget your first love. Remember what you did at first so that we can go and be the church that God has said to be. Let us pray. Father, I'm thankful for your teaching. I pray that you continue to uh, show us how to be made into your image. Continue to show us how uh, you have a direction for us to go and that ultimately we need to detour when you say detour. God, allow us to stop doing the things that we don't need to do and to change our ways, repent, and do the things you want us to do, God. God, I'm thankful for your word. I pray that you help us to be faithful and to show others your love. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.